0: Hi, my name is Levi. I am a fourth grader at E.W. Luther Elementary School. My favorite subject in school is math. You are listening
1: to the SMA Podcast. Thank you so much for that introduction. It's a small thing, but starting the podcast with a student like that is my favorite part. I'm Daniel Bader, Communication Coordinator for the School District of South Milwaukee. Today, we're gonna talk about reading instruction. Learning to read is one of the most important skills students learn at school. It's a base upon which everything is built. How we learn to read and write is a subject of constant study and how we teach it changes too. I clearly remember spelling tests, writing on chalkboards in front of my classmates, and endless phonics workbooks printed on a type of gray newsprint that would never let you fully erase your answer. Today, we welcome back Christy Gajewski, Director of Curriculum and Instruction in South Milwaukee, to share what our teachers are learning about and implementing in our classrooms. Uh, Christy, thanks again for joining us. Um, I want to play a little bit of a recording you sent me for our listeners um, from a third grade classroom um, learning how to spell. R-I-P-L-E, triple, triple.
0: Triple, triple. Triple, triple. Triple, triple. Goes Right. eyes. Triple, triple. Okay, spell Write
1: it down. What you're not seeing there, because it's a it's a podcast, is that all the kids are standing. And they've got their arm stretched out. And as they say a letter, they tap a part of their arm and go towards their hand till they're done with the letter or the word. And then they swipe the whole arm and then do a fist pump. Uh, And then they repeat it.
2: Well, what you heard in that third grade class was an approach called Orton-Gillingham, which has been around since probably about 1930. Um, and it's really a very specific, multi-sensory way of getting kids engaged with words and learning how words work. Um, and that, you know, it, it includes physical, and includes, you know, repetition, and it includes um, really teaching the kids how the English language works, um, because surprisingly um what most people don't know is you know there's sometimes there's this idea that you know english is really hard and it is hard because it's a mishmash of a lot of other romance languages um i like to say that you know english is like you threw all of the romance languages into a blender and then there's english um sometimes there's rules that make no sense Um, sometimes there's words that you know that don't follow the rules um but what there's a 90 percent um the, the data shows that about 90% of our English language can be decoded. Um, and so we've been really striving to take a look at that um, as a district and really say, okay, it's not that we haven't been teaching these skills. We have been teaching these skills. But post-pandemic, some of those activities that would be much easier done in person were harder to do um, when you have kids on a computer. Um, and so we've been taking looking at our data and you know, taking really strategic effort to make sure that we emphasize some of that word learning better. And our teachers have noticed, you know what, I need to learn a little bit more. Um, and so that's with our PLC process, we've been able to get teachers more in time learning so that they can say, you know what, these, these students need phonics, they need phonemic awareness, they need these things. And um, that's kind of what that approach was that you saw, the OG approach um, really is to take those word sounds, those letter sounds, um, and pull them together so that kids have a way of understanding how words work.
1: Sure. Um, So in our last, well, our very first episode, Mm -hmm. we talked about a PLC or a professional learning community. Just could you summarize it up briefly what that is?
2: Yeah, the PLC stands for professional learning community um, with emphasis on the professional learning. It's the idea that All of our educators come with a wealth of knowledge, and it's not all the same. So they come with their experience, and when you put them in a room together, that's more powerful um, than, say, sending people out to a conference, and sometimes that information gets back, and it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't, but really putting the educators in the room to learn from one another about best practices and approaches, because they all come with different sets of experiences, so they're teaching each other so that we can teach the kids better.
1: Sure. So um, I interviewed um, Blakewood third-grade teacher Travis Rice and reading specialist or interventionist?
2: Well, she's a reading specialist, but she's also the interventionist, Uh, yeah.
1: um, uh, Renee Larson, about that. Um, Here's what they had to say about kind of exploring their data over the summer and figuring out what second-graders turning into third-graders might need.
0: So we started this process back in the spring looking at the our end of the year data. Um, and then as a collaborative team of our instructional coach Kristen Dombrowski, um, myself, Miss Larson, our Renee Larson, our reading specialist, uh, Nicole Stark, our spec ed, and Megan Pritzoff, our other third grade teacher, all got together during the summer um, to start planning and really focusing on what our needs of this group were coming in. Um, and when we sat down and looked at the data and we looked at all the things that They need it really came down to a lot of phonetic and spelling um, skills that they were just lacking for whatever reason. So after looking at the data I noticed that those foundational skills were the primary um, target for learning for these students and last year the district provided us with training through the Orton-Gillingham approach and we call it our OG. Um, And so OG is awesome for this group of students because it's multimodal, so it taps into all the different pathways of learning, whether it's visual, auditory, um, kinesthetic, so their movement and tactile for touch. So all of these ways that they learn um, come through in these lessons and you can tell that they have a lot of fun with it. So it's a great approach for them. I had no idea what OG was, Um, it was brand new to me, but if I didn't use Renee for that or to use her expertise or Kristen's expertise and and Nicole's or Megan's uh, this doesn't get done. Um, So it's you gotta use your team and it makes this teaching thing a whole lot easier. (laughs) Yeah it's about tapping into each other's strengths. We're building each other's capacity um, so that we're the best that we are for our students. Um,
1: So hearing that, that kind of collaboration, um, yeah it was really Really heartening for me. Um, can you talk about how uh, you know learning to spell this way, um, or I guess mm-hmm. just tell me about how reading, learning to read, has changed? Because I had a phonics book on mm-hmm. that kind of gr- not greasy, but this mm-hmm. gray paper that I had to just yeah. constantly, you know, we had work pages and mm-hmm. and reading out loud, and but mm-hmm. I, I think that reading education is a lot different now yeah um, what do we do?
2: yeah I think the challenge is that sometimes you know, especially this has become a conversation. It's been a national conversation on and off for over sixty years about what's the best approach to teach all kids how to read and read well. Well, the challenge is that all kids don't come with the same background knowledge, all kids don't come with the same genetic makeup um so Teaching, teaching reading can be very, very difficult, and we need a lot of approaches to be able to meet the needs of kids. But when we look at the science research and neurological sciences, I mean, there are these approaches haven't, you know, like I said, the OG approach has been around since 1930, but it was specifically used for students who were identified with dyslexia. And what we're finding is that a lot of kids, a lot more kids, can benefit from that multisensory approach. And that's been the evolution of reading: is that when we we've had these approaches um, for a long time, but now we're getting better at strategically using them. And the idea, you know, the continuous improvement work that we've been doing in the district. when we talk about equity we're not talking about separating or changing things and one group of students gets more than another what we're seeing is what's good for one is good for all so it's like building a set of stairs is good for most but not good for all because some people need a ramp and so what we're trying to take the approach is when we look at the research when we look at the data when we look at the science behind what we do as educators we're starting to look at it as, well, this was originally designed for a subset of students. Is it something that can be expanded for everyone? And the answer usually is, yep. Because mm-hmm. everybody can get up a ramp, right? So these approaches really help kids um, grasp reading better and faster. Like, And it's just part of that evolution of working together, where teachers were working in isolation and had to figure it out for themselves. Um, and sometimes not always getting the, the support that they need. Now they're getting the support from their colleagues that have the background in those approaches. So it's expanding to more and more educators, which then expands to more and more kids across our district.
1: Sure. So how how do you – when we, when will we see the results of, of a change, you know? Um, yeah. Because I know we've – in the past, educators have tried something new, mm-hmm. and then they find out later that it didn't work, mm-hmm. and but then that kid's way behind. It, right. It, are we – are we paying closer attention? We
2: are, we are paying very close attention. And I think the challenge always is that education always changes. Um, and, you know, when you add different layers in, um, like new leaders, new teachers, new things like that, then you kind of always have to continually reset and make sure those people coming into the system understand what we're doing. Um, and it's hard to sustain that sometimes. And so that's what ends up happening is like after a few years, it didn't work. But do we really know why it didn't work? Um, And that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure out the why before we do it so that we know it will work, mm-hmm. um, rather than just buying a product that, is, as they says, we're going to solve all of your, ma- you know, this is a magical unicorn product and it's going to solve all of your problems. Um, it's perfect for your schools. It's perfect for all your kids. When in reality, it's just a resource and we're the ones as educators that have to decide whether or not it works. So what shifted is that we're trying to be really intentional about trying some things out first with our students and, um, getting the progress. Now, we're seeing growth. Now, again, I think when I talked about the school improvement plans, it happens over time. Like The impact on the overall district scores is going to take a little while to see that as a district, as a system-wide, because that's how implementation works. It just takes a while for everyone to get settled into the new routines. But that doesn't mean your kid is going to be continually left behind for the next three years we are going to see growth. So if you see your child jump in levels on some of their assessments, if you see your child being able to read quicker and faster, you know it's working for your kid. It just might not translate to exactly what's expected on that grade level because we've also had that two years of interrupted education. So we should see growth over time, and specifically with your individual children. But we should also see incremental growth as a district that we know it's working
1: sure so um in the fall edition Mm -hmm. of bridges magazine i wrote about um, a reading teacher who you know wanted to make the books kids are reading anonymous so that they could um, not you know they could read at the level they were at and not Mm -hmm. not be judged by peers but when we talked about that process you talked about how we how we even measure how where mm-hmm. kids are at in reading, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily about what a third grader should be reading, but right. where that student should be reading. Could, could you speak to that?
2: Yeah, we do several assessments. Um, it's almost kind of like when your doctor does, like I use that medical you know analysis an analogy, and with the school improvement plan, it's kind of similar. Your your we take a screening assessment which your students take in elementary called map in middle school. It's I ready. In high school it's in a couple of the grades it's pre A C T. But really that's a screener. It just kinda lets us know, like, oh, you know where kids are at um and then we do additional assessments to figure out exactly what it is that um where kids levels are where they're struggling um and that's the point of some of the assessments so we assess kids all the time um, but some of them are strategic so that we can kind of figure out where the kids levels are so that we can match them with the right books um because with reading there's a couple of things like you want the kids to be able to read comfortably in an independent level um But we also know that there's that instructional level. That's the level just above where they are comfortable that pushes them into the next piece. So we need to know where they're comfortable reading on their own and then where we need to teach to. Um, And then we also have the end goal, which is the state standards, which that's ultimately where we want to get them every year. Um, But we know that kids come in with a wide variety of needs. So we go, um, just like I said, instructional uh, or, you know, independent, instructional, and then we're looking for that end goal.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the rule of thumb, I, you know, I was always mm-hmm. understood was that between four kindergarten and mm-hmm. third grade, you're learning to read. And then mm-hmm. after third grade, you're reading to learn. Mm-hmm. Is that still the way it works?
2: Not really. Um, what we found um, in the last decade or so is that that is also kind of a misconception because you're always reading to learn right like you might be learning to read at four first and that comprehension is really important but kids 4k in those younger grades they're already reading other things they're reading environmental print i think of my own child my oldest his for one of his first words was target and credit card which (laughs) and he would read it on the side so that's environmental print when kids can recognize and know certain things like They're reading to learn. And my son knew, well, Target, credit card, that goes along with shopping. Mom's going there, right? So there's. it's not really – text gets more complex when they hit third, fourth, and fifth grade because they're learning more um, concepts in depth because of their age and development. So it'll go deeper into content, like science content, math content, social studies content. But – They're always reading to learn Mm -hmm. all the way through. That's the whole point of reading.
1: Sure. Um, So I I mentioned two strategies that Mm -hmm. two different reading teachers Mm -hmm. uh, have employed at two of our schools. Um, Tell me about reading teachers. Mm -hmm. Where did that concept come from, and what do they do in our schools?
2: So reading, reading teachers um, and reading specialists are actually specialized licenses um, because there's such a variety of issues that can happen with a child who is learning how to read, because it's all internal processing. Um, and there's a lot of things that can go haywire, right, when, when a child is learning how to read. So those are specialized licenses, and they are trained to specifically look for the challenges that kids might face and help them overcome those barriers. Um, And so that's, and actually the state requires districts to have a reading specialist of record on staff in order to help make sure that the general education teacher has enough information to support their students. So that concept of having a specialist in the district has been around for a very long time. Um, And it's just now we're trying to be more strategic about how we use that and also train more of our teachers um, in some of these approaches. And actually, because of all of the work that we've been doing on the foundational skills, um, I had some conversations with teachers just prior to the ho- uh, the holiday winter break. And as a result, like, this, this is a national conversation, uh, and so our state responds in different ways. And I had the opportunity to offer some additional training for teachers in these approaches that I've – I think I have – about 25 teachers who are taking a self-paced course on the Orton-Gillingham approach because they want to and they feel like, I want to know more. I want to feel like an expert in this. And I also have another 15 or so that are going to be doing a virtual book study um, to kind of make sure that they're all on the same page, which... That to me is the power of the professional learning community and the educators that we have in this district. They want to do well. They want to understand. They want to make sure that they're doing the right things by kids. And so to have you know these different educators come to me and say, "I want this training," and for me to be able to provide it, I feel like is a really big, huge win for the district because they're engaged. They want to know more and they they want to do better.
1: Hmm. Um, and I guess it's we should just say that elementary. Teachers are generalists. Yeah, they they teach everything, everything. right? So, um, that's what Mr. Rice had said that until Ms. Larson had told him about the SOG approach or mm-hmm. su- started suggesting strategies, um, that he he may not have known about them. Right. Um, which, if, if some are taking that approach mm-hmm. now that the word's gotten around about yep. it, you know, great for them. But you can't do that in every subject. No. Nope. So, um, so he's using that team, and he mm-hmm. said it's, it makes us all easier. And yeah. he was kind of saying it almost like this captain of the ship, you know, mm-hmm. looking around the room, thinking, you know, I, I can't always intervene on every single subject. Right. So, um, do we do, have other, uh, you know, interventionists in the district? Is it, it it's, it's just reading, literacy? Right? It's yeah. just
2: literacy for the most part. Um, at middle school, we have math specialist um, that works with our kids too, and that's an area that we're exploring too because we know that. Math is another area that we're going to have to look at in the next year. Um, I don't know if that will lead to additional positions, mm-hmm. um, but it does. You know, we are we are taking a really hard look at prioritizing and making sure that we're doing the right things.
1: Sure, and having that that specialist on hand, maybe mm-hmm. even because from what I've observed mm-hmm. that they um, they have a schedule, but they are yeah. uh, able to float around right. where the the major. Thing I'm learning about elementary mm-hmm. teachers. Is they are they are stuck with their kids and in their classroom, so they yep. can't necessarily devote extra time right. to other things and right that, and that's what they can do
2: Yep, yeah. yeah and our and our interventionists work with small groups of kids that are really really struggling um so they'll get specific you know um strategies and skills taught to them through our interventionists but the interventionist schedule is a little bit flexible so that they can so in a situation where like at Blakewood they saw that you know the incoming third graders were really struggling with this she could prioritize her time with that whole group of students that whole class both classes what is it you know 35 40 kids um whereas typically she would have only been working with like three or four at a time so it's be able to help co-teach and expand that knowledge and eventually she'll be able to help you know so maybe it's this year it's third grade but then in another year she may be able to prioritize kindergartner first or other grade levels too so that's the that's the beauty of some of these position is that they are working directly with kids but then they do have some flexibility to support more kids in a different way
1: Sure. And, you know, I mean, I guess from a parent perspective and a practical standpoint, mm-hmm. if you are staring at Mr. Rice all day, yeah. having Ms. Larson come in and give you a break mm-hmm. and bring in a different energy and a different yep. level, you know, just is a new motivator. Yeah. A different motivation for kids. Yeah. Yeah. They were having fun. They were having fun. Yeah. yeah. They um, really were. And the the one... So so Mr. Rice made two students available to us. Um, and And one... Um, they were at different levels in their reading, Mm -hmm. you know, but they were both very proud of of what they'd accomplished. Yeah. Um, And it was clear that that maybe one didn't need the tactile Mm -hmm. thing, but she enjoyed doing it, you know, and where the other one was probably absolutely needed for him. Um, And that's the ramp, right? Yep, that's that's the ramp. ramp.
2: Everybody can use that. And students who are at a point where they need to actually be, you know, accelerated or extended – You know, learning those things just gives teachers more strategies and direction for them to use, you know, to be able to extend um, for kids who need those extensions as well.
1: Hmm. So um, from a parent perspective, are there still spelling tests? Are there? How, how am I monitoring this at home? What am I seeing?
2: Yeah, I don't think necessarily that there are spelling tests per se. Um, I know that sometimes there'll be practice. You know that you know. So with the OG approach, it's it's not just you know like some you'll you heard the soundbite where they're spelling it out, but there's also like they they write it right and they practice it and they they see it, say it, spell it. You know, and so you might see some practice coming home. <clears throat> Excuse me in that form. um, Because, you know, what we also have learned is that we have to make sure that we're teaching kids in a strategic approach that's age appropriate, developmentally appropriate for how they learn words. And in the past, our spelling tests may not have made sense. Mm -hmm. You know, like you're learning these 10 words, but why? (laughs) Is it actually helping you learn how to read? Mm -hmm. Or is it I mean, there has to be a purpose. So if there are things coming home, it might be things like, and even if there's not, you can, there are strategies and things that you can practice with your kids and have them, well, what does that letter sound like? How do you put those two together? You know, so there's ways of practicing without necessarily having a traditional spelling test.
1: Sure, sure. We uh, we have a kindergartner, mm-hmm. and so we do the uh, alphabet game and yeah. with Disney princesses. Yep. So actually, there aren't that many, so we had to expand it mm-hmm. to Disney in general, but yeah. Things that start with A, things that start with B, Mm and we go around the car. And ten-year-old rolls his eyes, but it really worked for him when we did it. You know, for him and Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And she's just she talks about her sight words and and um, yeah, whatever approach her school's taking to that. Um, Reading, I guess, Mm -hmm. at home still is pretty important. Yeah. Um, How uh, how do we choose those books? You know, Mm -hmm. are we should should we be doing the classics? You know, like.
2: I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think it is all about what kids are interested in um, and even with my own kids, that's where we always started was what do you like you know what do you want to read about and then that's the motivation to read and what we what we also know from research is that you know sometimes we have a reading level for kids that is generally a reading level. but if you have a kid that is highly interested in say something like dinosaurs, they can read some really complex language because they love dinosaurs and they can pronounce those different dinosaur names and they can do all the things in first and second grade, mm-hmm. right? Um, when I was a reading specialist for high school, I had a student, a ninth grader that came in with like a fifth or sixth grade reading level. But you got him talking about skateboarding? No problem. Yeah. No problem reading. Um, but so some of its motivation, some of its background knowledge, some of its interest. And I feel as though, you know, it's always good for kids to have some background in some of the, the quote unquote classics. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean those are the only things because some new books be, are becoming our new classics. So you think about like Harry Potter, yeah. you know, that's becoming a new classic and it's, it's woven into our culture and references and words that people use. I mean, so I wouldn't limit it to some of the, those older, the older classics, but mm. they're definitely worth because they become part of our culture and our vernacular.
1: Sure. Um, and, you know, a lot of our parents work nights or the kids yeah. go to bed uh, and their older kids are still mm-hmm. up. Um, we do podcasts at home, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or audiobooks. Yeah. Uh, is that sure. the same as reading?
2: Absolutely it is. Um, you know, when you have certain kids who have different, like, um, the ways their brains work differently, whether it's dyslexia, ADD, things like that. My own children, I have two sons who um, are – diagnosed with ADD and reading is difficult because they can't focus for a very long time. So in order to get my children through school and reading some complex texts we've bought audiobooks so and this is coming from a reading specialist like i'm going to do everything that i can to help you understand so um you know generally speaking it's good it's good practice to have the listening and the text in front of you um but audiobooks reading is reading that's reading you know we you know we read people all the time we are looking for emotion we're looking for those things like that's reading too so it's knowing the world around you and then you know when we're when we're trying to um take what's up in our brains and put it into print, um, you know, whatever we can do to help kids understand, we're going to do it.
1: Sure. And, and I know, um, we have an audible mm-hmm. account, but, uh, we also use our library mm-hmm. and, uh, the library in my town, um, it, you know, that should yeah. give you the MP3 player. So there's oh. no like wifi necessary, yeah. you know, and, you know, sometimes you have to put a battery in it, but, but- otherwise, you know, they can manipulate themselves mm-hmm. and they're, they're pretty hardy, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah. And then online stuff like yeah. circle round, we use all the time. Yeah. It's and three, I think, three, um, three, um
2: three. our district has Sora, which also has some audiobooks, especially for younger kids. Um, you know, and even some of the practice resources that we have for our literacy programming as Lexia is one, the kids can use that at home as well. Um, and, Literacy footprints is another one that teachers use, and I can't remember if kids have access to those books outside of outside of school, but they probably do if they logged into their own, you know, because those are digital readers, you know. So we we and we try to provide. I mean, our if you go to the district or your school websites, you can see um, on the library resource page. There's a lot of information there, so there are some and that those those types of things definitely require internet, but um, you know, there's lots of options for that as well.
1: Sure. Okay. Well. Thanks for this. Yeah. Uh, is, there, is there any more about reading that we need to know?
2: Um, I just think that, you know, just like with anything, sometimes in the in the news and the media, it can be mixed messages, um, confusing messages and parents and teachers just want to do the right thing. And I think that our community needs to know that our teachers are really working hard to make sure that they're doing the right thing. But again, it's always comes back to let's have some conversations um, about what's going on and asking questions to seek to understand um, is always, always something that's a benefit for all of us to make sure that you know what's going on with your kid. Um, And take some of the information that is out there with a grain of salt, because Reading is a very complex process, and there's no one right approach. There are things that are better that help us get started, um, and we're trying to make great efforts to make sure we're doing the right things.
1: Christy, thank you for being here. Um, Absolutely. Very enlightening. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to take just a minute to advertise a special event coming up. Once a year, South Milwaukee puts on a community event to celebrate the literary work our students do. This year, we're widening the focus to STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. The main event is a wacky science show, but we'll also celebrate our young writers. We'll have creative works on display for our district art show and plenty of hands-on activities for children and adults, including a light meal. Save the date for picking up STEAM February 10th from 5 to 7 in the high school. If you have a topic you'd like to hear about on the SMY podcast, send us an email at info at sdsm.k12.wi.us. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and pretty much everywhere you find podcasts. This episode was produced by the School District of South Milwaukee. Thank you again to the High School Music Department for their support in making this podcast happen. You can find more information about our schools at www.sdsm.k12.wi.us. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching the hashtag SMWay or find us at S O M I L W SOMILWSchools.